Hi, I'm Erin. Welcome to Maison Mission. This is episode number 27. Maison Mission is an inclusive faith community. The word Maison comes from a Greek word that means greater. The Maison Mission is about finding greater spaces for people to hear and experience the good news of Jesus. You can find out more about Maison Mission by visiting MaisonMission.com or through the links in the description of this program. This weekend is Father's Day. Whether you're an expecting father, a father already, a father to someone who maybe doesn't have a dad, or maybe you've lost your father, this weekend we just want to take a moment and recognize dads. You're awesome. We wouldn't be here without you. We love you and we're thankful for you. For all the dads, the stepdads, the uncles, the grandfathers, thank you for being there in our lives. In honor of Father's Day, I found a couple good dad jokes for you. Are you ready? Did you hear about the thieves who robbed a theater? They really stole the spotlight. Get it? Stole the spotlight? What do you call an exploding duck? A firecracker! (laughs) That one was pretty sad. My favorite. Are camo jokes not a thing anymore? I can't see them anywhere. (laughs) That one just makes me laugh. (laughs) Dads, thanks so much for being you and for being in our lives. We hope you have a fantastic day being celebrated. Well, Maison Missioners, we want to give you an update on our Maison Mission Live, which is our once a month worship service that most people would say, hey, I'm going to church. We're calling that Maison Live. And we had high hopes of being able to kind of do a practice service at the end of July and launch at the end of August with a once a month service. And uh, we were working with a location and the timing just, it didn't end up working out. And, and so we're back to the drawing board, trying to find a location for us to meet. And so we don't have solid dates of when that is going to be happening, but we are actively looking for a location where we can gather. We completely understand that the church is not a building. The church is people. Maison Mission has proven this, right? We have had one service where we have gathered together, yet there is still a sense that we are a a viable faith community. But the reality is also that we need a space so that we can gather this community. So we just wanted to give you an update on what was happening with Maison Live and also to ask for your prayers that God would literally and figuratively open the right doors for us, a place that we could call home for many, many months that that would work out on several different levels. So that's it. That's our update. And when we have new information, we are going to be the first to let you know. We're going to continue in worship this morning with our teaching that is brought to us by Kevin Brusher. I can't wait to hear it. I'm glad I didn't have to preach it because he's talking about God's heart for our enemies. Well, good morning. You know, there's this ridiculous movie that came out about 20 years ago called Zoolander. Uh, Ben Stiller plays world-famous, number one-ranked 
male model Derek Zoolander. And the first half of the movie is all about his modeling career being challenged by an up-and-coming new model named Hansel, played by Owen Wilson. The giant egos of both of these famous models are so fragile and insecure, and that drives them to becoming arch rivals. Their ad campaigns and catalog shoots all trying to one-up each other. Eventually, the two come face-to-face -face in an underground duel of looks and moves to decide who is the ultimate male model in a runway walk-off. <laughs> as ridiculous as all of this is, the point is that Hansel and Zoolander are total enemies of each other. Now, I know this movie is a ridiculous and exaggerated comedy, but I wanted to use this lighthearted example to start a hard conversation. Today, we're going to take a look at God's heart for our enemies. If you would, let's open up the scriptures to the book of Luke, chapter 6, and we're going to start around verse 17. But before I even get into that, let's set the scene. Levi just shared last week about the calling of the 12 apostles, and this is right after that. The word is getting out about Jesus, and people are seeking him out to hear what he is saying firsthand. So he and his disciples are together, and Jesus takes them to this spot where a crowd of people starts gathering around them, okay? So let's pick it up at verse 17. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. All right, so what's going on here? A great number of people from all over, and even more specifically, poor people who are sick are the ones who Jesus is talking to. Okay, so I want to pause really quick and make this point. Audience matters. When we read the Bible and we look specifically at the words Jesus is speaking, it's really important to look at the audience. Who is Jesus talking to? What is the tone of the words? We should always consider the context of what is being said in the Bible instead of taking the words on the page at face value. You know, when I was in Bible college, we used to have this thing called the 2020 rule. Always read 20 verses before and 20 verses after the passage to make sure it really means what you think it means. Because you might find a deeper context that changes the way you interpret it. Alright, so continuing on in verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. 
Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. This part kind of really sounds similar to the Sermon on the Mount, and more specifically the Beatitudes, but check this out. It's much more specific here. He's using language that his audience can embrace and understand. The poor, the hungry, the weeping, the excluded, those on the bottom of corrupt systems, systems that keep certain people on top, and the poor are always under their feet. Those poor, oppressed people, yeah, they will be blessed. You know, I know this isn't what most of us were told, but the gospel is good news to the oppressed. It's good news to those who weep and mourn. It's good news to the marginalized, and it's good news to the poor. I'm going to sidebar here for a minute. You know, yesterday, for the first time in the history of our nation, Juneteenth was celebrated as an official national holiday. The 19th of June in 1865 was the day when word of the Emancipation Proclamation finally reached the last of the enslaved in our country. <laughs> Freedom! Freedom for the enslaved! Do you know where the first Juneteenth celebrations were held? In churches. Churches proclaimed and recognized this freedom before any other institution did. And God knows it shouldn't have taken over 150 years for the rest of us to get on board with it. A celebration of good news to the oppressed. Freedom to the enslaved. <laughs> okay, back to the passage in Luke 6. I'm hoping it doesn't take another 150 years for us to realize that Jesus doesn't support an economy or a politic that keeps the poor poor or the hungry hungry. It's important that we recognize this because so many of us, myself included, have been unknowingly supporting systems that keep the powerful in power and the weak oppressed. All right, now we've got the audience, the sick, the sick and the poor. We've got Jesus calling out the powerful, woe to you. Now we're going to keep going in verse 27. It says this, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. <laughs> Whoa. Wild card, huh? Jesus literally just finished taking the corruption of the religious to task. And instead of giving the poor a nod to continue their disdain for their oppressors, he does something quite odd, doesn't he? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. I mean... That's not even easy if it's not your enemy. Doing good and blessing others isn't something that seems to come very naturally for a lot of us. I also can't help but notice that this is a nod to an Old Testament proverb where it says this, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. 
In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's from Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. You know, going back to the Zoolander analogy, as goofy as it is, uh, what you see happening there is this escalation. You know, each move that one of them makes to advance themselves is a move on the other to push them down. In conflict and competition, there's always this truth that we have to deal with. You know, anytime someone is winning, that also means that someone else is losing. You can't have a winner without a loser. But what Jesus is saying here flips the whole system on its head. Instead of escalating in retaliation, what's your enemy to do when their rival doesn't escalate, but instead shows kindness? What if the war we wage against our enemy is love and kindness? What then is our enemy to do? <laughs> At first, it may drive them mad to see their enemy doing good to them, but ultimately, goodness can only breed more goodness, right? Hmm. Moving into the next section of the passage in Luke 6, turning the other cheek, giving your enemy your coat. You know, I have a, I have a good friend who used to be a stand-up comedian, and he used to tell this joke, uh, my mom used to tell me that before you criticize someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. Uh, that made a lot of sense to me because not only will I be a mile away from them when I criticize them, but I'll also have their shoes. <laughs> I don't even know how that joke fits into all this, but anyways. <laughs> giving your enemy your coat, right? So I did some study and, and, and based on a percentage of their overall income, did you know that studies show that the poor regularly give more, are more generous, and more charitable than the wealthy. You know, many psychologists have done research on patterns that show how those who have less tend to give more, while those with more tend to be more protective of their wealth. When Jesus says to recklessly give, it's not usually the poor who have a hard time with this. Remember the audience that Jesus is talking to. The giving part of this, I don't think it's the part where these people were really struggling with. In fact, I think this is how Jesus is connecting the idea to a concept that they already know because they already do it for each other. Sacrificial care for each other isn't foreign to them, but connecting this idea to enemy love is what is truly groundbreaking for them. Jesus is asking them to look at their enemy the same way they look at their friends. Hmm. Being in ministry for over two decades now, there's a common response I have heard to this passage about turning the other cheek at Bible studies or small groups. Eventually, someone always says it. And so it goes something like this. Well, I don't think Jesus wants us to be a doormat. Some of you are even thinking it now, listening to this. Turn the other cheek? Give to everyone who asks you? I mean, there's got to be a line, right? Jesus doesn't really mean everyone, does he? Hmm. This is a hard one, isn't it? If you're feeling that tension right now, that's a good thing. Be a little uncomfortable with this. Because we should be. 
You know, my heart is always convicted by passages like this because it's so easy to explain them away and accessorize them into our comfortable 21st century lifestyle. But I think Jesus is really pulling this out of us. What does it mean to love our enemy? What does it mean to be recklessly generous to those we oppose? Some of you have experienced or are currently experiencing an unhealthy, manipulative, or codependent relationship where boundaries are ignored and people constantly take advantage of you. Those relationships are complicated and challenging to navigate. But let's clarify what Jesus is not saying here. He is not saying that by doing these things, our enemy stops being our enemy. He is not saying that we need to forsake healthy boundaries or ignore triggers that could lead us into more oppressive and more hurtful situations. No. We need to be wise and healthy. He's simply showing us how to love and teaching us how to stop the escalation of hate. What we need to be careful of here is that we don't use these healthy boundaries as a way to keep us from the radical love for our enemies that Jesus is calling us to. Hmm. Beware of self-preservation. You know, it's so easy for us to even subliminally shift our focus away from healthy boundaries to instead building a cocoon of safe-for-the-whole-family line items that keep us from ever having to be in the presence of an enemy, let alone love them. If we keep our distance, we never have to actually engage, do we? Hmm. Yeah, just let that sit for a minute. It's heavy. You know, this has been a really challenging message for me to preach. There are some people in my life that I am struggling to love, people who I'm in opposition to, people who have caused hurt to me and my family that I wrestle with forgiving, let alone loving. It's hard to preach a message on loving enemies when I myself am not sure if I'm really there yet with a few people in my life. So I submit to you that I'm on a journey of learning how to love my enemies as well. I want to love the way that Jesus calls me to love, but I also recognize that I can only do this through His grace, His strength empowering me to love like Him. You know, I, I pray that prayer often because for me it seems to always be the most centering prayer I can find. Lord, make me an instrument of Your grace. You know, sometimes we read or are taught these Bible stories about radical forgiveness and loving our enemies, and they become a burden to us instead of a point of freedom. Freedom, which I believe is central to the gospel of Jesus. So I want to first respect the process of forgiveness. Please understand that this message isn't coming from a place that intends to make you feel like you're not doing enough to move towards forgiveness or or worse yet, that you have to forgive in order to receive some kind of blessing from God? No. Hear me clearly. God is present with you no matter where you are in your journey. And He holds nothing back from you. There is no carrot on a string waving just far enough out of reach. That kind of feeling is not from God. So let's take a minute right now and just think about someone who you might think is an enemy. Some of you knew who it was before I even asked the question. 
Maybe there's a hurt there that's really deep and it immediately brings back all of those emotions and even starts to get your heart rate up a little bit just thinking about it, right? Some of you might have taken a little longer. Maybe it's been a little while. Time has passed and you've allowed that time to scab over the wounds you may have experienced. But if you go back and sit in that memory, you know that not all is well in that relationship. Now, I know that even more of you are like, I love everyone. I have no enemies. And while that may seem like a true first reaction to my question, I want to rephrase it now by asking, have you ever been offended by someone? Has that offense led you to drawing a negative conclusion about that other person? Or has that offense given you pause to continue engaging with that person? Have you unfriended them? (laughs) Um, They may not be an enemy, but they definitely aren't a friend. All right. So we all have that person in mind. We're going to pray and ask God to specifically show us his heart for our enemies. So if you would just join me in this prayer. And as we pray, I want to invite you, if you feel comfortable, like open your hands out in front of you like this. It's a posture. I think sometimes when I, when I pray, I close my eyes and I I put my hands out in front of me. It's this posture of, of, of receiving. It's, it's asking God, I, I have my hands open to receive what it is that you want to give to me, what you want to show me, what it is that you're doing. Um, I release my expectations to God and I allow him to replace them with his, uh, his will, his vision, his heart. And so let's pray together. Hmm. God, we just take a minute here and we just pause before you. We all have someone in mind who we are in opposition to, someone in mind who who we could say is, is, is an enemy, someone we could say that, that relationship is broken with this person. So Lord, as, as we picture this person and as we feel those emotions and as we feel that, that, that disconnection, that, that, that brokenness in that relationship, Lord, I pray that you would come in this moment, here and now, and that you would give us a picture of that person. Give us your picture of that person. God, I I pray that you would show us your heart for our enemy. I pray that, that we would see them through your eyes, that you would show us your love for them, that you would show us your purpose for them, that, that, that through that connection, we would realize that we are not all that different. God, we all need you. We all need to pray that prayer of grace. God, would you come? Would you give us the strength? Would you give us the grace? Would you give us the thing that we need to do the next thing that you have for us, Lord? whether that's simply loving our enemies, whether that's simply loving our neighbors. Lord, Lord, we can't do it without your strength. We can't do it without your grace empowering us and helping us to do it. And Lord, right now, I pray that you would give us a heart of forgiveness. Lord, that you would 
allow that that vision that you're giving us for the person that we may feel as an enemy, Lord, I pray that you would, you would show us how to make those first steps towards loving them. Whether that is just a radical act of kindness, maybe it's even something we do in secret to bless them. Something that we can do that, 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 that helps them, that, that gives them something that maybe they need or something that, that, that they can feel like, wow, that was, that was unexpected and it blesses them. And it doesn't even have to be something that, that they know is from us, but Lord, Lord, I pray that you would help us make those next steps. Help us to, to, to give us some wit in that. Give us some, some, some vision for that that is beyond us. Lord, I know that you're going to do some really wild things in our community through this. But Lord, that's how we get there. That's how we come into these, these, these new understandings of your heart. God, I pray that you would just help us. Lord, we need to see through your eyes. So God, give us that vision today. Help us to love our enemies the way that you call us to. God, we're thankful for Maison Mission. We're thankful for this community, Lord. And I know that many of us are coming from places where we've been rejected or hurt. A lot of us are coming from places where we have not felt included. Lord, even more of us may be coming from oppressive situations where the systems of this world have kept us pushed down. But God, I ask for you to show us our true identities in you. Show us who we really are, Lord. Lord, I pray that Maison Mission would be a beacon to this world, shining the light of your truth of who we really are on the faces of those who need it most. God, go with us from this place, Lord, as we continue to worship as we continue to serve others, as we continue to walk out this life, Lord, that you would be upon us, Lord, that you would be with us, and that your words of life would be spoken through us and to us, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. A few reminders before you go. We're starting up our Maison Kids Ministry, and there are some great ways for your families to start connecting this summer. First, if you're interested in helping with the kids ministry, we're having a Maison Kids Ministry Interest Meeting on Friday, July 2nd. If you'd like to sign up to help with Maison Kids, check the box on the digital connect card found in the links in the description of this program. Also, get excited about the Maison Kids Pool Party. Families with elementary kids are going to gather together for a pool party on Saturday, July 17th. Register on the Connect card for more information. Make sure you bring your floaties. Maison Mission is a non-denominational church. These programs and conversations are only possible through the financial support and donations from people like you. If our program encouraged you today, consider supporting the Maison Mission with a one-time gift or on a reoccurring basis. You can give through MaisonMission.com and follow the link to give. You can also text the dollar amount to 84321 and follow the links to Maison Mission. We will also be displaying our giving links on a slide at the conclusion of this program. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a fantastic day.